following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Um, we're going to look at verses 32 through 34, and that's on page 871 in the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 12. Over the last few weeks, we have been dealing with Jesus' teaching on greed and worry is really what it boils down to. Um, Both ideas kind of wrapped up in material things and materialism and the uh, concern for material goods. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' summary statement of this teaching and what might look at first like the warm hug we all want from Jesus we'll probably end up with a kick in the pants. So let's look at our text together. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the freedom to gather together in this place this morning. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful that it has been preserved as it was written for us to read. We're grateful that these are your words preserved for us that we might know you better and follow you more closely. We pray, Father, that you would use this time for your glory. Speak to us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I like verse 32. Man, verse 32 is, is great, right? It's like a warm hug from Jesus. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. Let's close in prayer. I really want to stop. I really do. Sometimes you just need a warm hug like that. Fear not, little flock. I just love the idea of sitting with Jesus, the good shepherd, you know, and hearing those words from his lips. Fear not, little flock. But he doesn't stop there. We can't get lost in that warm feeling because if we do, we miss out on the true comfort that Jesus is offering his disciples. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, it's getting better, right? Give me the kingdom. All right. Well, first of all, who's who's father? Jesus says he doesn't say it's my father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. He doesn't say, it is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, it's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, maybe for us, that's not a, not a huge deal. Well, I mean, yeah, God the Father, we get it. No, 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 no. <laughs> you have to understand, thousands of years of Judaism, God was not referred to as Father. Nobody referred to God as Father. They referred to him as God, as Yahweh. I am that I am. Nobody called him Father 
until Jesus. When he prays the Lord's Prayer and and the disciples say, teach us to pray, he starts with our Father. That was a huge deal. It's old news for us. We've heard the Lord's Prayer a million times. But for first century Jews, that was a big deal. To claim God as your Father is saying that you're equal to God. Jesus was crucified for that. That was one of the reasons the Jews wanted to kill him. Ephesians 4, 5 and 6 says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, again, that does not exclude the ladies. We are all adopted, male and female, as if we were sons of God. That doesn't mean we're swapping teams or anything. What that means is that we all stand to inherit the kingdom of God. And we are co-equal in that way. Through faith in Jesus Christ, Yahweh, the almighty God, I am that I am, the creator of the universe, has adopted us as his children. Through faith in Jesus, we get to call him our father. This is not a small thing. This is a huge, huge thing. Romans 8 31 and 32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen. Right. It's our father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. What does that mean? It means that it makes our father happy. To give the kingdom to his beloved children. What a wonderful thought. But why does Jesus give it to us? Why does he give us this thought? What lesson is there for us in this wonderful truth? What is it that his disciples that day weren't seeing in order for him to have to point this out? Everything written in scripture is written for a reason. Every instruction from Jesus is given for a reason. And it's usually because what he is instructing us in does not come naturally. We don't just assume it. Why does he have to point this out? If we look back over the preceding verses that we've looked at over the last few weeks, it becomes pretty clear that the overwhelming concern was not the reception of the father's kingdom, Instead, it was people's desire to preserve their earthly kingdom. And we start to talk about it's God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, we start to feel pretty good, right? Because I could really use a new lawnmower, right? And God's going to give me the kingdom, man. And I bet it's the zero turn. (laughs) That's that's what is that not kind of where we tend to go when we think about that? God's. It is a father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, which means everything that you want, obviously God wants to give you. You're not shaking your head, so you haven't been here long enough. This is a total setup. This is not the truth at all. Not even close. This is not about earthly kingdoms. Back in verse 13 of this same chapter, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus went on to tell the parable about the farmer whose barns were too big 
or too small, sorry, to hold his bumper crop. And instead of putting his great gain to good use in helping others, he decides to build bigger barns to store it up for himself. We can't forget the context that we're dealing with here. Jesus goes on uh, to tell his disciples in verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. So what's Jesus pointing out? Was he not showing his followers that their concerns were really just wrapped up in the temporary kingdom of this world? So when we hear it's God's, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and we start to think about, well, all the stuff we've been asking him for and that we could really use, aren't we doing the same thing? I was. In the parable, God says to the farmer, fool, this night your life will be required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Right? His disciples, he says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, the unbelieving nations of the world. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now, our tendency to think is, oh, if I seek God's kingdom first, if I seek the Father's kingdom first, then he's going to give me that zero-turn lawnmower. All I have to do is make sure I'm checking the boxes. Right? No. No. Because grass was created to grow. Leave it alone. (laughs) Plant flowers if you don't want long grass. Isn't Jesus' point to get his disciples to trust their father and to use the resources that he's blessed them with to help others? It is. That's not a setup. What makes this idea easier to deal with is the thought that the kingdom that the father is pleased to give us is not here. And it's not made of the same stuff. Daniel loves it when I tell the joke about uh, the rich man Uh, insisted on being buried uh, with his gold when he died. And so when he died, they filled his casket with gold bricks. And when he gets to heaven, they ask him at the gate, "Uh, so what are you going to do with all the pavement? (laughs) Super biblical, theologically accurate garbage right there. All right? Not very accurate, but you get the point. The stuff of this world does not, it's not coming. It's not coming to the next one. The Bible says that the old heavens and the old earth are going to pass away and a new heaven and a new earth. God is preparing the new Jerusalem to come down to the new earth for us to live in. Right? That's what the Bible says. And if, I mean, do some math. There's not going to be a lot of grass that needs mowing. So forget it. Martin Luther wrote, What a man loves, that is his God. For he carries it in his heart. He goes about with it day and night. He sleeps and wakes with it, be it what it may, wealth or self or pleasure or renown. What we hold dearest to us is in danger of becoming our God. 
Ray Stedman said, these treasures grip us, whether they are of earth or in heaven. They seize our feelings, our affections, and they hold them with an iron grip. Therein lies the terrible danger of treasures on earth. We find that if our affections are centered on things, we begin to love things and use people instead of using things and loving people as we're called to do. Jesus said, verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what does that mean? Tents for everybody, right? Time to put that house on the market. Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus' point was that if his followers overvalued treasure on earth, whatever it happened to be, they'd be anxiously concerned about it and their hearts would be divided. But if instead they had a treasure in heaven as a result of proper use of their earthly resources, a treasure that won't rot or wear out, and were rich towards God and his kingdom, they would be concerned with matters pertaining to his kingdom instead of in a state of anxiety over material things. Just a question of priority. What comes first? Is it God's kingdom and all the other stuff that you have serves that? Or is it the other way around? When we start to think about what can I, what, what can I get out of God? I want to put his kingdom first so that he'll give me the thing that I need. Well, what for? What good is a well-manicured lawn when people are dying apart from faith in Christ? They don't know Jesus. Who cares what your house looks like? Who cares what car you drive if you're not using that car to serve the Lord in his kingdom? That's the whole point. If we miss that, we're missing the point. Matthew Henry wrote, set your hearts upon the other world. And your expectations from that world provide yourselves bags that wax not old and wax not empty, not of gold, but of grace in the heart and good works in the life. These are the bags that will last. Grace will go with us into another world for it is woven in the soul and our good works will follow us for God is not unrighteous as to forget them. These are the treasures in heaven that will enrich us to eternity. What a beautiful thought. The beauty of the biblical record is that we have examples of exactly how the apostles interpreted this teaching from Jesus. And we can't forget, Jesus was talking to actual people that day, right? And then those people did their best to apply the principles that Jesus laid down for them, right? And we can see that record in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you need a more accurate description of what the church is supposed to be? This is why we do what we do. This is how the apostles understood what Jesus was telling them. This is how they put it to work. This is exactly the model that we should follow as a church. And again, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If anybody here at this moment is hearing a plea for money for the church, no, no, no. That's not it at all. Not even close. We don't need any more money. This is what it looks like to ready our hearts for the coming kingdom. It's caring for people. It's looking out for the needs of people. It's not just making sure we have enough money to buy new chairs and carpet. It's putting what we have to work so that people can know Jesus. This is not a fundraising campaign. That's not at all why we're here. In fact, money is just a small sliver of the pie. What we need as a family and as individual disciples is to be kingdom-minded when it comes to our resources. Whether those resources are money or influence or skill or other things. It's a holistic picture here. The worship of God is not done merely with our checkbooks. You guys remember checks? <laughs> when I was um, years and years and Years and years ago, I was hired as a carpenter's apprentice. And I was told uh, that I needed my own hand tools to start work. That was the funny thing about getting a job. So you have to buy the stuff to do the job. Well, I need the job so I can buy the stuff to do the job. I didn't have the job. I didn't have the stuff. And I didn't have the money. Right? This is a problem. What I needed uh, was a tool belt, a hammer, a flat bar, a tape measure, and a circular saw. Now, when you're young and broke, that's a long list, right? I didn't have any of those things. I didn't have money to buy any of those things. Well, what I do have is a dad. And my dad lent me an old tool belt and some tools and a 30-year-old skill saw with a cord only about three inches long. He never told me how it got that short. But he lent me those things, and I got to work, right? The point is, it's not always about money. 
Sometimes it's just about what you have to help somebody else do what they need to do. Remember the words of John the Baptist from Luke chapter 3. When the crowd is feeling convicted and they say to John, what, what then shall we do? What are we supposed to do? We want to follow God. What do we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. This is how the kingdom of God is exercised. Right? God sent his son as an act of grace. Right? An unmerited, undeserved gift. An act of charity. It's what we needed the most. It's what we still need the most. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves good enough to get into God's kingdom. Heaven is not waiting for those who are just trying to be good enough to get there. We needed something more. We needed a savior. And God sent his own son to be our savior, to give his life on on the cross in our place. We're powerless to do that. That's how God works. Is it any wonder that he asks his children to act in the same way? Jesus gave his life on the cross as an act of grace, an act of charity. Through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven and we are adopted as God's children by grace, by God's charity. As his children, our lives from this point on should be entirely marked by acts of grace, by acts of charity, and seeking opportunities to use our resources for the good of others in order to expand God's eternal kingdom. This is, that's what our treasure should be. This has nothing to do with money. I don't have any money to give. Okay. That doesn't mean that you're not still to give. Maybe it isn't money. Maybe it is what you know how to do. Maybe it is just helping people make connections with other people. Maybe it is mowing somebody's lawn because their lawnmower is broke. Right? This should be our treasure to act as God acted because we're his children. He saw our greatest need and filled it himself. Are our eyes even open to the needs around us? Or are we just looking for, we're looking out for number one. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Maybe it's not your stuff. Maybe it's just you. Maybe it's just me. We need to look outside ourselves, friends. We're concerned about all the things that are going on on the other side of the world, which are not insignificant. And we can pray for those things. But how many people do we look over in order to see it? How many yards do we look through to see what's going on on the other side of town? We've got people all around us. They need the Lord Jesus. They need what we have to offer. So let's give it to them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace to us.
we're thankful that that's just who you are. And as your children were made in your image. So, Lord, help us also to exercise grace. To look out for the needs of others. To use what you've blessed us with to be a blessing to other people that they might know Jesus. Not just about full bellies and, and, and warm clothes. But may we do that so that people will know what Jesus is like. And what kind of grace is waiting them. Lord, we can't do this without your help. We need your Holy Spirit to prick our hearts, to awaken our consciences, open our eyes to see the needs around us, and help us do what we can to fill those needs in the name of Jesus. Not just to be nice, or not just to do good things because that's what good people do but to care for the needs of others so that they can know you as Savior and Lord. We ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 